Well, I want to welcome each one this morning to this part of the service. We want to come to God's Word and receive from Him that which He has for us. I appreciate those of you who have been praying. I know that um, the power of Christ lies in His Word and in His Spirit as they are in cooperation with one another in our lives. So this morning I would ask you continue in your prayers. We have been going through Ephesians and we came to the part where in chapter 5 where he talks about the headship order of man and wife in the home. And something that I felt led to do, felt compelled to do for some time, is to speak on the headship order of the church and how this is to function. One thing that I sense for myself, there are things about the headship order that are only spoken of one time in all of Scripture. So I want to be very careful that I don't make a major doctrine out of something that is a minor issue. But also, I feel like we need to speak on these things because the world has influenced the church to leave off the essential doctrines of the church in this nation. The compromise at the rate of the, the, the rate of compromise in the churches today is astounding. It's something that if we would go back just fifty years ago, many of the denominations would agree on many of these points. They might not agree on some other points, but on the on the headship order in the home and in the church, there would have been an agreement. Today, we find that it has been challenged, it has been thrown out, it has been twisted, and therefore we have what we have today, where the church and the world are no different, other than a profession, other than a name. Paul told the church, in, in, in Revelation, I mean, uh, Christ told the church in Revelation that you have a name. And that that name is, if that name is all you have, then you just have the shell of your profession. There's just a name to call us Christians, but in our lives we deny the truth. And... This morning, I want us to, to think, think with me. I want to be careful because I realize there's some controversy here, and I realize that, that it can come across as being uh, harsh or, or being uh, uncaring. I want you to know that I care deeply. I care how this affects us. I care how it affects our children. I care how it affects the world around us. I care how it's going to affect our community. 
I care how it's going to affect our witness and testimony here. And so, by God's grace, I want to honor him this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. And we want to work through our way through the first 16 verses of this chapter, if we can, this morning. Beginning in verse 1. By the way, in verse 1, we really must, many people believe that verse 1 goes with chapter 10. So it's, it's a division of chapters here that really kind of breaks up the content. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and read it as it is here, but uh, that will not be in our exposition this morning. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is, is man. The head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. This is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. For it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved. For if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge yourselves. Is it, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray with, to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such customs, custom, nor do the churches of God. Let's pray. Our Lord and our Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we recognize the need for your Holy Spirit to open your word to us this morning. Father, many times our feeble minds and our, the weakness of our carnal flesh shadows the, the ability for us to see the truth as we ought. And even when we want to, we, we sometimes stumble over our own inconsistencies and our own problems because we live in this body of flesh. So I pray, Lord, give us eyes to see 
Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that long to obey you in all things. I pray, Lord, that this would not be judgmental. I pray that your message this morning may come clear as your word has given it. Lord, we would remember that you have given this for our benefit, for our good, and for your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to begin by first, but as an introduction, we're going to start in verse 2. Verse 2 is really an introduction to this. He says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. First thing we want to recognize, we want to notice is that they recognized Paul. They recognized who Paul is, and they recognize him as an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent to the Gentiles to show them and teach them the way of truth. Now we have, I know we have spent time in Ephesians going through the gospel, through what it means to be saved, and then we go into workings of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life, and how do we work out the old things, and we work in the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings that into us. And we're now talking about practical applications and what this will, should, and does look like. So when they are looking at this, uh, just like it is today, this went countercultural. This was countercultural to their day because in their day there was much idolatry. In their day there was much, uh, much brazen harlotry. There was much uh, worship of of idols by by the men and women um and the worship of idols perverted the truth and stood it on its head to the point where they didn't they didn't know apart from grace uh, the grace of god what was right and what was wrong and so we must understand that when the gospel came to these people it was not just a cultural change but it was a personal life change there was much that had to come to them and, and, and rework their way of doing and thinking. And so, in 1 in first, in first Corinthians 1, verse 1, Paul says here, he, he, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Paul is recognized here by the Corinthian church as an apostle of Jesus Christ. That word apostle is simply a delegated one or a sent one. One who is given a particular task or job. One who is sent by someone, and here he is sent by Jesus Christ. And he is to accomplish the will of God. He is supposed to do what God has called him to do. He's supposed to teach what God has told him to teach. He, has, he is supposed to give them what God himself wanted him to to give them. Notice back here in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I, I praise you, brethren, that not only do you recognize who I am, but you remember me. You remember, you're mindful of the traditions. Now, most of us don't like that word very well because we tend to confuse it with the vain traditions that come from the religions of men. There's a big difference between 
what God has passed down to Paul that is to be given as a tradition in the church versus what the traditions of men are in man's religion. In fact, we find this in Christ's day where the, the, the Jews took the law that was supposed to be passed down as a the tradition of God and they added their laws to it so much that, and they passed it on as their tradition, so much so that Jesus says, in vain do you make these laws, because they nullify the word of God. They are not the truth. And so I think we must understand that we have to be very careful that when God gives us something, we tend to be overzealous and want to add our things to it, we make it something that it's not. And I believe that that's a very real problem that man has had from the beginning. And so we must guard against that. But needless, nevertheless, the things that Paul was handing to them as traditions, they were things God gave to him. Christ gave to him and he's passing them down. He's handing them over. That, these, this word tradition is the word paradosis, which means what is delivered, or the substance of the teaching. And so there's a, there's a substance here that Paul is passing on to them, that he says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me, and you keep these things. You're doing what God sent me to tell, he sent me to tell you to do these things, and you're doing them. And he said, I praise you for that. These traditions... If we will look back in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, this whole passage, this whole area of the Scriptures is Paul, again, handing down to the Corinthians what he received. And we go, go to verse 23 where, he talks, where he's beginning to give them the instructions of the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. You see the continuity. God had chosen Paul for this means, for this reason. And he says, I want you to receive what I give you, and I want you to hand it down to the church. I want you to pass it on to the church. They were careful to observe these teachings. They remembered him and the teaching, and they remembered it in, notice he says, just as I delivered them to you. There was a specific remembrance. They weren't casual about it. They weren't careless about it. They didn't, they didn't say, oh, well, well, we'll do it if we think about it. But they were careful to do it just the way he said. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 15, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And it's, again, it's the same thing. Paul's doing the same thing in Thessalonica as what he did here in 1 Corinthians. He was in, he, in, in Corinth, he was passing down the word of God that God had given to him. That's what he was doing in Thessalonica. And that, was the, that is the heart and soul of Paul's ministry. He was to go to the Gentiles, and he was to take what God had handed down to him and was to give it, and that's what we have in the epistles, at least in part. I think there was much more that got passed down in that day than what we have record of. But nonetheless... That is where we get our epistles from. Paul received from the Lord the, 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 the word that God was giving to him. This testimony of the Corinthian believer's obedience is a great example for us. 
Not only did they receive Paul as one whom Jesus Christ has sent. In fact, when he goes to another place, he says, At one point, you would have given your eyes for me. You'd have plucked out your eyes if you needed to for my sake. But they received him as one whom God had sent there, as one whom Christ was sending to the churches. He gave themselves to the word of God that came through him. They, they committed themselves to keep the word of God. In fact, in, in Romans 1, he says that you were, that you were, um, he committed them to the doctrine of God and they were changed by the doctrine to which they were committed. And they were, they were given to that teaching. They gave themselves over to it. And that's why they could keep it so faithfully. That's why he praises them because they were willing to not to not. It's not about Paul. It's about Christ. It's about submission to Christ. It's about being his child. Friends, this is the attitude and purpose of heart that we need in order to keep God's word today. These things that are handed down to us are not going to be kept by accident. We're not going to stumble into the obedience that really brings praise for the Lord. It's not going to happen. We must. We must recognize God's word given to us as coming from his mouth. This is what he has said. And that not to lose the things that we have heard, but diligently endeavor to keep them. He gives grace to keep his word. That's where he gives his power. That's where he gives his authority. That's where he gives his peace. That's where he, Christ has conquered. He died and paid for that which he has given to us. And so let's, let's receive it as the word of God. Now he, he begins here in verse 3. We're going to start with God's headship order. And he says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of, the, of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. <clears throat> the worship of Christ, the headship of Christ over his church. Let's note what he says there. The head of every, the head of every man is Christ. To be the church's head means to be the preeminent one. It means to be the one who is in charge or who is the leader, the one who has the right to speak into the other's lives. And Christ's headship, I want to make this very clear, that Christ's headship is, is so much more preeminent than the headship of man and woman, man, of man being head over woman. It is, it is a, a place where Christ is head over man and woman. And there's a, there's a real, we, we come to an understanding of this as we read later on in the epistles where he, say, where he says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. In other words, there's not one over the other, but there's an order of function. There's an order in which he wants us to follow because there's a place that God has designed and, <clears throat> and created for us. <coughs> to function. Sorry about that. 
So every place where God, where the place where God has created us is where we are to be. In fact, he says in, in, in Colossians 1 and in verse 15, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all, in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Notice here how, that, how so complete the headship of Christ is over his church. Notice that he is not just head over the church, but he is also over the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, the thrones, the dominions, the principalities, and the powers. These are spiritual entities that he has been placed over. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. He is before. He is ahead. He is in front of all things. And in him, all things consist. They hold together because he is the head. Now, I'm just going to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's a headship that, that is the headship of God over man. The true headship of God is how he relates to his church. But this this all-encompassing, filling every part of the church, is what the headship of Christ looks like. In both the church and in, and in the creation, He is the one that holds them together. In fact, if Christ was not in the headship place, the church and the creation would fall apart. But it's because that He is there that they all hold together. I just want you to know that in no way am I saying that man is that kind of complete head over woman because man is not God. This is God having headship over man. But there's an order of function by which he's, he has deemed right for our, for our use, for our good, for our holiness and righteousness here that we're going to get to. Christ's headship over man is superior in every way. His, his headship over us is not a headship that is distant and cold. But like we saw in Hebrews chapter 2 this morning, He is even with us and one of us. He has made Himself one of us so that we are brothers with Him. And this, friends, is, is far superior to anything man could ever come up with. Man cannot come up with this kind of a structure, this kind of a leadership that gets down into our personal lives, that leads us day by day, as well as being over all the dominions, the principalities, and the powers. And in this, being so great, yet he's willing to call us his brethren. It is, is an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. <clears throat> Secondly, we want to look at the fact that here in, in verse 3, 
The head of every man is Christ. The head of man is Christ. In every place that the men are specifically commanded to function in the church, they are to do so under Christ's leadership and under his control. When Jesus says in, Je- in Revelation there where he says, I walked, he walks in the midst of the churches. He's a head who walks right in the pews this morning. He is the leader who knows what's going on. He says, I know your works. I know what's going on even in our own separate lives. So men, anytime God has called us to a place where we are to lead out, where we are to do things in the church, it is because we are to do them under the control and under the direction of Christ. Turn with me, hold our place here. We'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 5, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Going down to, going to verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then let's go to verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Let's go back here to verse, especially to verse to verse 8. But we want to notice that the, that... There's one God, that we see the headship of Christ over man. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ and Him alone, who gave Himself a ransom for all. Paul said, He is the one who appointed me a preacher and an apostle, and he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. So what Paul is saying in this passage, though it's, it's Condemned by many scholars, condemned by many people as Paul being a male chauvinist and Paul just taking his own opinions down on paper. He says, I did, I wrote this because this is what Christ told me. I'm not lying to you. This is what Christ told me. So let's look at what he says. I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What he is passing down here is this truth that he wants the men in the assemblies to be leading the worship. The men are to be lifting up holy hands. And it's not necessarily a physical lifting up hands. It doesn't, it doesn't discount any of that. But it means that when you come before God, you come before him with holy hands, with with. Clean hands and a pure heart, as the psalmist said. In fact, this leadership is to be done by men who are free from sin, meaning that they have confessed their sins to God, and that they have and any and any that they have sinned against. That's what he says in James five, verse sixteen. He says, Confess your trespasses one to to one another and pray. 
for one another that you may be healed. There's a clean hands uh, principle here for us men. It's easy for us to get into controversies, to get into quarrels, to get into spats, to get into difficulties that cause us to hold grudges or hold things against people or treat others in an ungodly way. He says when we come to worship, you're to be free of those things. You're to lead out being free from any bitterness or from any anger or any wrath toward anyone else. In fact, in, in, in Psalm 24, this is the same principle that is, that is given in Psalm 24. I want to read a few verses here, <clears throat> verses 3 through 5. The earth is the Lord. I'm sorry, let me go down. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is why the way God wants to be worshipped. He wants to be worshipped by people who have clean hands and pure hearts, not because they're just these good people, but because they recognize that they have sinned where they have sinned and they've come before God and they've asked for forgiveness and they've been humble enough to ask their brothers and sisters for forgiveness. That there is a cleansing that happens in regards to the leadership of worship. In fact, that is at the root of the breaking of bread where he says many of you come and you drink and eat unworthily. You've got sin in your life. You're committing sin and you continue to commit sin. And therefore, many of you have already died. And some of you are very sick and about to die. Why is it? Because you come and you worship the Lord and you are defiled with your sin. God has provided the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And that is why He calls us to clean and pure worship. This is why you can't just crank up the music and make worship happen. This is why you can't just have a nice little gathering that everything's just perfect and that constitutes worship. It's when, especially the men... We can come and we have an attitude of desiring to be purified and cleansed before God. And as we come, we offer Him a, thanks, a gift of thanksgiving and worship. Jesus said, if you come to the altar, you bring your gift and there remembers that your brother has something against you. Go be reconciled with your brother. Leave what you have. Don't even give it. And then come back and offer your, your, your offering, your sacrifice. You see, we are to bring this kind of worship to the table. This is the kind of worship that God expects from us. And it's what He wants from His people. Going back to 1 Corinthians 11. Those who are be teaching and leading 
in public assemblies are men. These are the men, and that is to be done in an orderly way. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm not going to take the time to go there, but he talks about how that order must be had in the, in the church, in the services, that, that they may all speak one at a time as the Lord gives utterance, and that there must not be a clamoring for importance and a clamoring for, for preeminence among us, but rather Christ as the preeminent one is is leading us in worship. See, as we as we are to lead in the congregation, men, it is because we follow our leader, Christ. It is what He wants from us. It is what He wants for us. This is why He has designed that men should be the ones who lead out in the worship. <coughs> the bishops and deacons from 1 Timothy 3, and you can read that in the whole passage there, These are men in the church. They're not to be women in the church. And this is one of the reasons I want to speak on this. Because at an increasingly alarming rate, the women are taking over the pulpits. Isaiah says that that in that day, he says, my people who are going to be cursed, part of the curse is your children are ruling over you and your women are leading you. It's, it's nothing against the children and it's nothing against the women as much as it is they've reversed the order that God has intended. They've taken that which God has intended to be right and they flipped it backwards. I just want to tell you, idolatry does that to us. Idolatry will take what God has set forth as right and good and turns God on His head, if you please, in our minds. Turns everything about God, everything that seems right, in the, in the eyes of God, on, our, on its head, in our minds. And this is why idolatry is such a huge, a huge negative problem. <clears throat> well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. And let's look at what he says about men's attire. <coughs> Pardon me. Men's attire in public worship. He says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. We have here head being used in two different ways. One, his head covered is simply his physical head. The second part is his spiritual head. When he prays with his head covered or prophesies with his head covered, it says he is dishonoring his head who is Christ. And this, this is, you know, this is an issue of attire. It's a symbolic thing. It's a thing that Christ wants us to do. But, you know, I, don't, I believe that, first of all, there must be a submission in the heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As men, we must come praying, and, and, and when we preach and when we pray, we must come under the authority and under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking the hat off or taking the head covering, and as they wore it in the day, it was like a flowy, like something that flowed down to their shoulders. And that's literally what this means. The covering is a flowing down to the shoulders from the head <clears throat> to cover 
to worship with one cover, one's head covered was a symbol of being, uh, of him being under another authority other than Christ. In fact, in the, in the, in the culture of the day, when the, when the priests went into the idol, temples of idol worship, they wore these long turbans, if you please, or whatever they were that they were on their heads. I want to say this, that I believe that God, God's word was spoken before idolatry came in and turned it on its head. This word was in the heart and mind of God before those idolaters ever came in and perverted it. And so I believe this morning that that is something God asks of us. He calls us to be careful in our attire. Again, I would rather see somebody who doesn't know the principle or is in a place where he, he needs a head covering for the cold. I would rather see that with the principle of submission to Christ than to see someone religiously take his hat off and have no submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that, it's, that salvation is a work in the heart. But he asks us to find our place, to be in our place, and to seek to hold that place as, as he gives it to us. So let's, that's, as we, as we come down, it's a symbolic difference. Notice in verse 7, For man indeed ought not to cover his head, why ought not he cover his head? Because he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. God took the dust of the earth and he formed man from the dust of the earth. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. When God created woman, he took the rib out of the side of man. And he created woman from that rib. And so God is asking, he is, he is setting in place a creative order of headship in that, in that very act of creation. He's saying, I want man to be under my leadership, and I want woman to be under the leadership and, the, and, and help the man. This does not diminish the woman in her value or her importance. It is the place where God has put her. It is a place where God blesses her. It is a place where God it will give her grace. And it is where we all want to be. We want to be in this place that God has created us for. We want to be functioning there. He is the image and glory of God. We find that numerous times in the Old Testament. Even as sin began to be compounded on the earth. In Genesis 5, things were getting bad. And he says, still... Man's the image and glory of God. Man's the image and glory of God. And that has not been erased, but it has been distorted and twisted in so many ways. James 3, verse 9. He says, with it, and he's talking about the tongue there, with it we bless, we bless God our Father. Let me start over. With it we bless God, our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, or in the likeness of God. So there's a likeness of God here, and a, and, a, and, a, and a glory of God that's displayed. There's a sense in which he, man and woman made together. 
in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, that he says he made them in his image and in his likeness he created them. Male and female, he created them. So they are both in his image. They are both in his likeness. But when it comes to an order of function, there's a, there's a, there's a glory that God receives when man is in his place and woman is in her place. Verses 11 to 12, he is not to dominate or rule over the woman, but he's to recognize that he is not independent of the woman, rather that he, he depends on the woman. Man depends on the woman for his life. Every man born into this world was born of a woman. This is, this is reality, and we must recognize that woman is important. This is so that man does not, does not lord over woman. But he says, nor is the woman independent of man. That even, even uh, with our fallen natures, we need one another. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through the woman. But all things are from God. And he is to recognize this dependence. And he is to honor the woman for her place and the place that she gives him. In verse 14, he says, Does not nature teach you, itself teach you, that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? God has, by evidence of nature, made man with less hair than woman. And he says that he is to maintain his appearance by honoring God and keeping his hair short. Now, short and long are not definite terms. You know, uh, the, the, the reality is there's a female and male distinction here. As you look at history, you can even go to the hippie age where men let their hair grow long. If you'll look at this, most of the time the women were just a little bit longer. And, and this, is, this is what God has intended. He doesn't say how long it has to be. He says that a man should be distinct. In his appearance. That's how he wants to be worshipped when we come together. That there should be a distinction between man and woman. And that men should not be trying to be women and women trying to be men. Brothers and sisters, when we get away from the church, when we get away from the people of God, this is commonplace. Men don't want to be men anymore. They will try to make themselves effeminate. Women don't want to be women anymore. They want to be masculine. And brothers and sisters, it's a perversion of God's order. God has given this order for a reason, and it's for His glory. And we must, we must, we must know where we stand with it. Because the, the enemy's going to come in like a flood yet. He's going to try to take over. He's going to try to knock us off of our place. It's like being in a battleground. And you have a place that you must hold. And he's going to try to take you at a place where you're not suspecting and knock you off your place so that he can make you compromised in your attack of Satan. You see, that's what's happened to the church. We've compromised. We've given it over. We've let, we've let the world take us where the world wants to take us. And now we're dealing with the weakness of the fact that we can no longer stand up in the churches against sin. We can no longer be holy people unto the Lord our God. Well, let's notice that the head of the woman 
is the man. I want to turn here quickly to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 in verses 1 through 5. We want to look at what he has to say here about the place of woman in worship. In Titus 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Again, he's saying, Titus, remember this, you're going to Crete. I'm, 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 I'm giving you the, the extension of authority from God to send you to Crete to preach the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine was that which came from God, that which was true, that which was right, that which was clean. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish and that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. I want you to notice that this is a royally high calling for the woman. She is to be he says, you are to admonish, these older women are to be teaching the younger women. Their influence, their place of influence can be greatly used in, in, in explaining and opening Scripture with the younger women. This is a place God has given you, women, that He's calling you to. And He's saying, I want you to teach the younger women how to do these things. What are, these, what are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be discreet. They're supposed to have this sense of, of, of being willing to hold back and not just be undisciplined in their lives. That discreet and chaste, chaste also means that they have discipline. They have self-discipline in their, in their thinking and in their living. Homemakers, that they are the ones who keep the homes if they are married if they are wives, that they are the ones who hold down the fort at home, that they take care of their children, that they love their children, and that they love their husbands. You're called to a high calling with an influence that nobody else in this whole world has, wives and sisters. Nobody has the influence of mom. Nobody has the influence, men, in your home like your wife has. And that's what God intended. God intended that she use her talents, that she pour herself into the home. And maybe you're a single lady here, and God hasn't given you a husband. Well, my dear friend, if you will just but think for a minute, is there some person, some other young lady whom you can help? Is there someone you can become friends with and you can be a blessing to them? Maybe there's children that need help. Maybe there's, there's ways that you can pour yourself into the lives of other people, even if you're not married. And he says that this should be going on. These things should be going on. He says, obedient to their own husbands. An attitude of submission there. 
that the word of God would not be blasphemed. That the word of God would not be turned on its head, if you please. Because the world is going to come in and they're going to say, you can just be whoever you want to be. You, you pick it. You choose it. That's who you can be. God doesn't say that we men can be that way, and neither does it say that the women are called are, allowed, are open to be whatever that the world would dictate to them or to us, but rather that they would honor the Word of God, that they would, they would, they would use their authority, the, the authority of God, to, to drive them to the place where God <clears throat> wants them <clears throat> for me wants them to be. This does not, this does not mean that, <clears throat> that you are, are, a, are to be just dis- disregarded when it comes to opinions. I believe that it is a place where your influence and your opinion in your home needs to count. It needs to mean something. And us men need to make sure that it means something. But, but brothers and sisters, the woman has a place that is not less than man but right alongside a man but she should not be out here taking the lead and meeting the public and doing the things that would expose her in an in an ungodly way <clears throat> first timothy 2 we're going to go back to first timothy 2 again and verse 9 Verses 9 through 13. He says, in like manner. In other words, I desire that the men, in verse 8, so in like manner, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And this is again in the, in the assembly. And this, brothers and sisters, has been thrown out the window like, like an old bag of rags. I mean, people have despised this passage of Scripture and you will find it compromised in many churches today, but God wants us to hold our place. He wants us to be in the place He has called us. He says that women would adorn themselves in modest apparel, that there's a sense of propriety, that there's a sense of decency, that there's a sense of, of we call it modesty. And it means simply to... to arrange herself in order so that God would be glorified with her appearance. The Christian woman's attire is to fit the place where she is called. And that's exactly what the apostle is saying here. He's saying, I want her to look like the part she is to, she is to fill. The arranging of her hair and the clothing in a neat and orderly manner without flaunting her beauty or wealth in such a way that it distracts from the worship of God. I believe that it all comes back to the worship of God. And God has given you, sisters, beauty 
That is, the, that is the glory of man, really. Men don't carry that beauty. They don't carry the sense of beauty. They don't carry the attitude of, of, of neatness that you women do. It's not natural. But you women carry a unique place where you can submit yourself to the authority of God and put yourself under your husband. And that speaks volumes. You don't have to say a word, and that tells a huge story. Because this is not found anywhere amongst the unbelievers. They disregard this very principle. And that's one of the reasons I want to preach on it this morning, because I believe that it's being lost in the American churches today, and it's one of the reasons that things are chaotic and out of order, and so many things are going awry. It's not just the women, it's the men. I want to call, I, that's why I called on the men first, because it's in, the, in that order. But the men have left their place, and the women are not in their place anymore in many cases. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adornment be merely or only outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. But rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, the with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so what he's saying is, is ladies, as you, as you come, yes, arrange yourself with order and, and, with, and with neatness and with, and with godly beauty that is, is, that is proper for worship. But do not let this become a display. That, don't let it just be all about what appears on the outside. There's a huge place for you to be adorned inwardly with the beauties and the glories of Jesus Christ so that you manifest that which God has done in His children. It is a place where you show what the church really looks like. It's a place of a gentle and a quiet spirit that really manifests what God is like. In his church. That's what he says in, in Ephesians chapter 5. That just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So the church is to be subject to Christ. And that's what it means friends. You are to be subject to, to, to Christ and find your place. And you are to show what it means. But in your life you're to be a little bit of a sample. Just a little sample piece of what God does in his church. And you can do that in a unique way that us men can't do. And I just want to beg you, don't give that place up. It's yours. And that's what you should have. And yes, you're not going to find it if you want to take over the authority of your husband. Or you want to take over the place of authority in the church. Or you want to run the show in your home, it won't work. That beauty will not be displayed. I'm going to tell you, friends, I've seen people who looked the part of 1 Corinthians 11 in their dress. And you could find no fault with these ladies on the outside, but when you got into the homes, it's another story. There was not a submissive spirit, but an antagonistic spirit. And friends, it it's, it's not what God's talking about here. 
He's talking about having the real thing and then let your dress be appropriate to the real thing. The attire and appearance of the woman in public worship. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Notice in verse 5. She says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, again the head here is her physical head, dishonors her head, the spiritual head, who is the man. For that is one and the same as if her head were were shaved. But if a woman is not covered, let, let her also be shorn. For it is, for, but if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. He goes on and gives an, a, a, an explanation for why. He says, Because man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Woman portrays an outshining beauty of mankind that man does not bear. And God has equipped you. He's given you this beauty. And it's, it's to be held in, in, along with the inner beauty of the Lord Jesus living inside and, and, and Him being in control of your life. <coughs> Pardon me. While the passage, it is difficult to understand completely. We can see that the woman's role here and her attire is different. It's distinct from the men. And this whole thing of her dishonoring her head is simply the fact that her glory needs to be covered in the presence of God. And this is, this is part of what God is wanting us to understand is that man's glory does not does not meet what God wants coming out of our lives. He wants to see his glory and not just beauty on the physical being put in display, but rather that there's an inner quality of beauty and the, the dress on the outside matches the beauty is a, is is a appropriate to the beauty that's on the inside. And so, this, is, this, this covering here, in this place, is a different word from verse 15. It says, if, woman has, if a woman has a long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. There are two different words that are used here. The one that's used in verse, in verse 6 is means to, to, to veil completely, to, to hide, to, to, to cover over. The one in verse 15 is the word is the word that means to to be wrapped around or to be flowing down. And it's it's not complete. That's that's the idea is that it's not a full veiling. And, and what is he saying? Uh, you know, again, it's how do, we, how do we discern these things? There are very many different interpretations. In fact, when I go to the commentaries, every single one of them says that this is 
because of the tradition of harlotry in Corinth, where the harlots shaved their heads. And so the women, he's telling the women, you don't come to church even after you've been saved. You were a harlot. You had a shaved head. Come to church. You must put something over that shaved head. Well, several, there's, there's several problems with that. That, is a culture, that was a culture of the day. That was, that was the, 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 um, it was the practice of that day. But God does not base his instruction here on the practice of the day. I think if we're going to take the reason that God has to use for this, we must take what's in the text. And the text says that it goes back to the creation principle. He makes it clear that man, that man is not from the woman, verse 8, but the woman was from man. In other words, God took out a man and created the woman. Verse 9, nor was man created for the woman. God didn't create the man to be the helper of the woman, but the woman to be the helper of the man. By the way, the Lord knows we need help. <laughs> That's why he gave us you sisters. He knows we need you. And that is reality. And we need that help. But anyway, he goes on to say that that man is not from the woman, but the woman from the man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason. That's his reason. For this reason. He goes back to creation principle. He says, because God created it this way. The woman ought to have a, and, and, and the words a symbol of in my Bible are in italics, which means it was not in the original. The woman ought to have authority on her head, if you would read it according to the original. And yes, it is. It's a symbol that she has submitted herself to the authority of God. And Brothers and sisters, again, I have seen many times where, where women practiced this in, in real life, but the heart was far from it. And I want to tell you, first of all, I'd rather see someone with a heart of, of, of longing to be in the place where God wants you to be. And maybe you don't quite, maybe you haven't come to a place of understanding or there, you're not at the same place I am or you don't have. It's not clear to you. I would rather see your heart submitted to God, and I'm not going to condemn you because this is not an easy passage to, to sort out in every way. But I would say this, that if we, want to, if we want to be here for the glory of God, there's a sense, there's a sense of God's authority upon our lives that we must submit to. And it's for all of us. We are here not for ourselves, not because of ourselves, but because he put us here and there's an authority upon our lives. In fact, this, this symbol of authority or exousia, as it is uh, in, in the Greek, is a sign of her inward submission. And somehow, and, and for some reason, it says in verse 10, because of the angels... The angels understand authority. They understand what it means to be under authority. I don't know. That's about as far as I can go. I don't know what this means 
to the angelic world because I'm not there. I can't see into it. God doesn't necessarily tell us. I will say this. This whole issue of covering is, a, is an actual, you, actually used as a symbol of authority. Uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, and I don't have time to go there, in Ezekiel 28, I'm going to give you this ver- these verses. Go, read, these, read these verses. Ezekiel 28, verses 12b to 19. And there is, a, is about the king of Tyre. And literally, it, it kind of the whole prophecy turns into a description of Satan or a description of Lucifer when he was first formed. How that he was formed perfect in his place. And how that he was covered with the precious stones in the garden of God. How that there, these stones covered him. In other words, he was under the authority of whatever these stones represented. And in, the day that he, in that day, he was under that authority, and he, it says he was the cherub who covered. Meaning that he was under authority, and he had authority. And he says, in him was given the tabrets and pipes, or the, the ability to make music to the Lord. And we can only just surmise that maybe he was taking the glory that was going to God and he was presenting it before the throne of God. I don't know. But his downfall was the fact that he did not use his authority properly. But he rather took the glory to himself. Began to be puffed up in his vain imagination. Began to deal Use it as a bargaining tool, as a, as a dealing tool. And God says, I will destroy him. We'll take his beauty and I'm going to make it like the ashes. And so, my friends, this issue of having authority and being covered is, is, a, is a spiritual issue with God. Now, when I say that, I mean the, 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 the spiritual authority of God on a person is a covering over them it is a protection over them husbands to your wives your authority by giving your headship over your wife is a protection for her when abraham threw sarah out to the wolves he was not being ahead he was taking away his protection from her but but his protection was to be over her and that was that was her covering in fact abimelech says he is, tell Sarah, he said, he is to be to you a covering of the eyes. There's an authority in, in, in you being married to him that's to keep the eyes from others to look upon her and think that they would want her for a wife. You see, God wants us to remain in his order. And that's the bottom line of this passage. When it comes to the practice... The order of worship with the men leading and teaching and the women submitting to their leadership is repeated multiple times in the New Testament. There's no ambiguity about it. And it is something that must be kept without any question. While the questions surround the practice of leadership, of headship coverings for the women, we must ask ourselves, is this principle... Or is it custom? Is it principle or is it custom? 
From all that I can understand, I believe there's a principle here. If there's principle, and we esteem it as custom, and we say, well, it's just a custom for the day, and we decide we're not going to pay any attention to it, we've come to a place where we've disobeyed God, if that's what it is. If it's a matter of custom, and we treat it as a principle, and we apply ourselves to it and do it, we may be overscrupulous. We may be going a little further than what the Scripture intended. But it will not be sinning against the Lord. I just want to call your attention to that because I believe that's what's contained in verse 16. If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom. That's what Paul says. Again, I believe that calling it a custom doesn't change it if it is a principle. But nonetheless, calling it a principle, if it is just a custom, I think we need to be very careful with what we do with it. I believe to make it an issue of, of division, where it's a part of, of, you know, unless there's other things involved, just dividing over this one thing, I would have a difficulty doing it because of, I realize that we need, it takes time and to understand even what we understand and then this is the only place in all of Scripture that the head covering is taught. So I want to give a lot of grace because when we look for something that we can stand on, we look for something Christ taught, we look for the practice of it in the book of Acts, and then the clarification of it in the, in the, in the epistles. And that's not here. That pattern's not here. So we have to admit that. We have to be honest with it. But Paul spends a lot of time going back to creation principles to bring about this, this teaching to the, to the Corinthians. And therefore, I, I cannot, I feel like that just passing it off is negligent. However, <clears throat> how should it be done? How is it to be practiced? I believe that can be custom. And I don't believe that, you know, while the, 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 the word here literally means veil, like, like a covering, like a, something that flows down, to wear a hat or to wear a, a, a cap or, a, or, or a something else, is not necessarily is not in violation of this principle at all. <clears throat> And so I think we need, in that part, I have no problem calling it a custom as to how you determine, and we should leave that to the consciences of each one. Well, this is all I have for today. I trust that you can understand a bit of, of the heart of this text, and I trust that it, it doesn't, uh, that I have not come across as judgmental or that I have not come across as, as being uh, in the flesh myself, but that 
you could see what God wants you to do and thereby glorify him with the calling he has placed upon your life. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask for your Holy Spirit this time to take your word and use it for your glory. We want to be used by you. We want your truth to prevail. And Lord, most of all, the things that need to be maintained and kept, I pray, Father, that you would give us grace to keep these so that when the enemy comes in, we will not be pushed from the place of truth. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.